This is Anne-Marie Lewis, and you are listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers that connect us, brought to you by American Rivers. This episode is a reflection on my conversation with John Fleck and Amy McCoy from our last episode, Law of the River. If you haven't yet enjoyed this episode, you can find it on our website at www.americanrivers.org podcast. John has a diverse career in water. He was the primary environmental reporter for the Albuquerque Journal for more than two decades, covering everything from nuclear waste to migratory birds for the state's largest newspaper. He recently published his first book on the topic of Western water, called Waters for Fighting Over and Other Myths About Water in the West, and now serves double time as the Director of Water Resources at the University of New Mexico. His book peeks into the power and importance of collaboration in water management, and tells positive stories about the successes born through collaboration between diverse and often antagonistic players. Amy McCoy is the director of AMP Insights, a consulting firm that works throughout the Western United States and Northern Mexico on the economics, science, and policies of managing river flows for people and nature. Throughout my discussion with John and Amy, the idea of collaboration and cooperation and compromise between towns, districts, states, and basins continually resurfaced. Because of these reoccurring themes, I thought it was important to explore them a bit more deeply, as this is how changing and sustaining these ingrained systems just might be the pathway to preserving both the limited resource and the legacy of an entire region of the country. So let's take a look. In my interview with Amy, she summed up the importance of compromise between the upper and lower basin quite eloquently. The importance of compromise between the basins is multi-layer. First, the importance of compromise is that there is an acknowledgement that each basin's concerns, realities, needs, and requests are valid. Then, the importance of compromise is in acknowledging and creating new ways to reach those needs, requests, and realities. So compromise is as much about the relationship between the two basins as it is about what results from that compromise. And ultimately, in a future Colorado River Basin where we see ourselves as all in this together with laws and rules and procedures that help us live in leaner times, our relationship with each other is going to be a reflection of the amount of creativity that we put into the solutions that we need. So the stronger our relationships are with each other, the stronger our capacity is to acknowledge each other's needs, the more creative and robust the solutions that we develop will be. We need to listen to and respect all concerns, needs, and requests to cooperate effectively. Because of collaboration's paramount role in learning how to manage Colorado River water more efficiently, John discussed historic examples of what has happened in circumstances of paranoia and lack of collaboration versus experience of cooperative, constructive negotiations. The first example ties into the Colorado Compact and takes us to a lower basin state, Arizona. Arizona initially refused to ratify the 1922 Colorado Compact because it feared that the compact would enable California to receive excessive amounts of water, leaving Arizona in the dust. What Arizona was afraid of was that California was going to take more than its share and that the federal government wouldn't stop California and California would just get away with it. 
So for a long time, Arizona did not, as a result, ratify the compact and was sort of left out of the Colorado River water allocation. So Arizona was increasingly threatened by the Colorado Compact becoming a way to manage the river because it made it more competitive between them and California in a sense, because it lumped them together in the lower basin. So by not ratifying the compact and not therefore participating in this broad shared governance of the river, Arizona really lost out on opportunities to develop its share of the river, which required, you know, dams and pumps and canals. And so Arizona really has long paid a price for its unwillingness to join the shared governance of the Colorado River. They finally did in 1944. They eventually got the Supreme Court to recognize an allegation of water that sort of respected their rights. But in the process of all the political bargaining, they had to agree to what today feels a little bit like a poison pill, which is that as the river water gets short, which it is now because of climate change, they did buy into, in this piece of water management of the Colorado River, a sort of version of prior appropriation. So California has senior water rights over Arizona for a big portion of the water. And so as the water gets more and more scarce, Arizona could see its supply cut back while California still gets a full supply. This is a great example of the problem of being confrontational and the benefits of collaboration and cooperation. And to be fair, in Arizona's defense now, um, Arizona is a much more collaborative and cooperative partner in Colorado River Basin water management governance than they were in their combative phase of the 20s and 30s and 40s. One way that Arizona is working to collaborate today is through the Drought Contingency Plan. In recent years, due to the overuse of Colorado River water across the southwest, Lake Mead has been dropping about 12 feet per year on average. But now, one way that people are working collaboratively is through a proposed deal among the lower basin states of Arizona, Nevada, and California, aiming to protect Lake Mead's surface elevation from dropping below 1,075 feet. This collaborative plan, the Drought Contingency Plan, or DCP, would work to avoid a critical federally mandated water shortage, which would hit Arizona first and hardest. Lake Mead is the largest reservoir on the Colorado River, formed by the Hoover Dam, and is a critical water supply for lower basin states. If Lake Mead's level continues to recede, remaining below 1,075 feet, Arizona could disproportionately suffer the effects of water cuts, as John explained. Currently, in August 2017, the reservoir is hovering around 1,080 feet. At full capacity, the lake can hold 9.3 trillion gallons of water, reaching an elevation of 1,220 feet. To put this into perspective, Kevin Fedarko remarks in his book, The Emerald Mile, the epic story of the fastest ride in history through the heart of the Grand Canyon, that this is, quote, enough water to flood the entire state of Connecticut to the eaves of a one-story house. End quote. The weight of this initial supply of water that filled Lake Mead on February 1, 1935, was so massive that it would deform the surface of the earth, triggering a series of earthquakes from Boulder City to Las Vegas that lasted well into the 1960s. All of this is to say that Hoover Dam was an engineering feat so unprecedented and epic, an accomplishment in water storage that would enable Western growth. 
But today, we are reminded that all growth has limits. No matter how grand a technological structure, we cannot conquer water. Lake Mead has now dropped to only five feet above the critical water mark and requires innovation in the form of conversation, cooperation, and creativity. The DCP is the Lower Basin's collective agreement to voluntarily cut water consumption across all Lower Basin states so that Lake Mead will not decline below this important shortage elevation, 1,075 feet. The DCP negotiations are a hopeful example of preventative and proactive measures taken to ensure a predictable and sustainable lower basin water supply into the future. Most importantly, these measures are bringing together diverse interests, such as cities, tribes, and private funding, to make these urgent plans a reality. Now let's take a look at another example of collaboration and how it enables all-around improvement. So one of the most hopeful things that has happened in the last five or ten years, really especially the last five years on the Colorado River, is the increasing collaboration and cooperation between the United States and Mexico over the river. used to be tremendous amount of conflict. The river has been a flashpoint for half a century of international diplomatic disputes. And we really have turned the corner on a collaborative arrangement um, for sharing both shortages and surpluses on the Colorado River between the United States and Mexico. Now here is a concrete example of how our collaborative improvements with Mexico are mutually beneficial. The water that Mexico has been conserving is stored in Lake Mead, which is positive for the United States because A, Mexico is helping to keep Lake Mead above 1,075 feet. Again, if we drop below this figure for a period of time, Arizona gets the cutback. Mexico's added storage is helping to avoid this problem. And B, the more full a reservoir is, the more resilient it is in drought. So the more time there is to get a collaborative agreement like the DCP in place where everyone is participating in conversation. Mexico has been conserving water. We leave that water in Lake Mead, stored in a U.S. reservoir, which is really an important international breakthrough to store Mexican water in a U.S. reservoir. It also props up the levels of Lake Mead, and that helps us be more resilient and less vulnerable to drought on this side of the border. So there's this enormous benefit on both sides of the border to figure out um, how to get this right and how to you know, overcome In the spring of 2014, negotiations on water conservation between the U.S. and Mexico enabled what was called a pulse flow that attempted to mimic the river's historic spring runoff. The continuous pulse flow between March 23rd and May 18th, 2014, temporarily returned more than 105,000 acre-feet of water, equal to 34 billion gallons, to the dry Colorado River Channel, reaching all the way to the Gulf of California something that hadn't happened reliably in decades. Willows and other vegetation took hold along the channel, a river temporarily reborn, an incredible example of what collaboration and international conservation agreements can accomplish, even in a period of drought. And this is just such an important positive story. It really showed what collaboration can offer. There's some fear that in Washington, D.C., with a new U.S. administration that is, how shall we put this, gently less tolerant of our Mexican neighbors to the south, 
more hostile toward them, the progress that we've made could be set back some. But John is hopeful, and so am I, that the people on both sides of the border involved in Colorado River negotiations will continue doing a good job to collaborate and overcome. To restore a river, it is important to focus on the positive examples and the successful movements. Amy McCoy highlighted this idea. I think that what's happening in the Colorado River Basin right now is really exciting. I think there's a lot of stories out there that talk about the impacts of climate change and how the reservoirs are dropping and how rivers are running dry and that there's not enough water to go around. And there's a particular type of alarmism around this, which in many ways is warranted. But I think the flip side of that coin is that there is this moment right now in the Colorado River Basin where people either turn towards each other or turn away from each other. And I think what's happening around Lake Mead and the Lower Basin Drought Contingency Plan, the responses to the drought and to climate change, is an effort to turn towards each other. It's not like, it's not, you know, all kumbaya and, you know, shared cookies on the playground. It's, you know... Collaborating is challenging and has elements of conflict, but the only way we're going to solve this problem is modeling successful collaborations. And the doom and gloom narrative runs the risk of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think we need to create for ourselves a positive, optimistic narrative of what solving these problems look like and tell those stories because that helps them become real. You know, I passionately believe that. I mean, that's sort of the whole point of the work that I do now is trying to model those positive narratives. Turning towards each other is turning towards each other in negotiations, turning towards each other in writing policies, turning towards each other in building new infrastructure, and ultimately turning towards each other in sharing the water that's available to all of us. And that really in this world, with the uncertainties and unpredictabilities that we face, we're ultimately going to need to turn towards each other to survive it. And so if we're able to master that in the Colorado River Basin, then there's a good chance we can master it in other places. So I think what's happening in the Colorado River Basin is really exciting for that reason. We are at a pivotal point in history that will dictate how we manage and think about our water long into the future. So I encourage you to get involved in the conversations in any and all ways that you can. In the middle of the upper and lower basin lies the Grand Canyon, an indescribable chasm of incredible beauty. Join us for our next episode as we raft through the canyon, reflecting on John Wesley Powell's incredible journey, the ultimate thrill rivers have to offer, and the array of threats facing one of our nation's most iconic national parks. My name is Anne-Marie Lewis, and thank you for listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers that connect us.